0: React in a positive way. We need positivity for this second love. Positivity belief. Positivity belief. <arguments> positivity belief. Positivity belief. Positivity belief. Positivity
1: belief. Positivity 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 belief. Hello, xubs and maybe general extra-inch listeners. I haven't decided yet if this is going to go out on the main feed because uh, normally we keep our guest under wraps because he's very special. Uh, Alex Doyle, it's lovely to have you back. Our resident, as I call him, sports psychologist. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me back and uh, congratulations and happy birthday. Thank you very much. Yeah, everything's happening at once this year for me. It's It's been a big year so far. Um, when I told the ex-subs that we were having you back on and to send in any questions, I uh, got some amazing comments and feedback. People were very, very pleased. They love these episodes because they're hearing something different and obviously from someone who's an expert. Uh, but for anyone who's not heard you before, would you mind just giving a brief background? I, I know I ask you to do this every time. and It must be very infuriating, but it's good to hear your credentials. <laughs> well, thank you. No, no, no problem. Always, always happy to
2: talk about myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm i I'm officially a, a sports psychologist in training um, while I'm finishing a doctorate uh, but I work as a sports psychologist uh, across a number of different sports with different individuals and I'm currently doing a doctorate in uh, at the University of Portsmouth which is looking at a couple of areas so was looking at a bit of kind of choking under pressure or sort of bottling it essentially um, and now also actually working a little bit more on sort of transitions of kind of junior athletes to sort of making it in the
1: senior ranks. Uh, so, yeah, bit of a, a bit of a new topic there, a bit of new information for the listeners. That's
0: yeah, a, nice. A new that addition. In,
1: interesting pivot, and uh, we'll tie in nicely with one of our questions that we've got lined up for this pod. Um, and the other thing, most importantly, is that you're a, a long-standing Spurs fan. Am I right in thinking previous season ticket holder? Uh, correct, yes. Yeah, so uh, really frustratingly, this is the first season I've not had a season
2: ticket in a while, uh, which was due mostly to having a young daughter, so I just wasn't getting to the games on time. But it is quite annoying that I had a season ticket through all of the last <laughs> couple of managers um, and then have now given it up just as we're playing really exciting, really interesting football again. So, oh, man. Yeah, that must be... That's life. That must be
1: frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, such is life, as you say. Um, so, Alex, let's let's get started with some of the questions that ups have sent in, which are brilliant. Um, in fact... First, I will allow you to talk uh, for as long as you like about Ange because we haven't done this yet. We haven't had a chance to speak about Ange. Um, We spoke lots about Mourinho. We spoke lots about Antonio Conte. But this is a completely new style of coaching and man management. Have you got any kind of uh, broad brushstroke thoughts on Ange and his approach?
2: Uh, Yeah, I love him. Uh, that's that that's it um we can end the recording uh yeah I, I, when i when i wrote uh when i kind of got in touch and said hey i'd love to come back on i i literally specifically said like i'd been kind of waiting because through the first uh, however many games it was dozen or so i i didn't really feel like i had much to contribute other than to say i think he's just brilliant in basically every way um yeah i, I think there's just a huge amount of um, yeah, a lot that from a, a sort of a sports psychology perspective is just really really impressive about him um, and I think it, it kind of goes to show that often sports psychology is broadly kind of in line with common sense and a lot of people's intuition as well um, that you know a lot of the things that I think most Spurs fans really like about him are also the things that with my sort of professional hat on I also really like about him um I think there's just a sort of an air of authenticity that really is just like extremely obvious and I think that makes it really really easy to like him both as a as a fan but also I think from a yeah from that sort of psychology perspective like makes him very easy to buy into as a player um and I think he's also as part of that I think he has you, you get the sense that if he was making a hard selection decision and had to choose, you know, who he was playing in a certain position, you get the feeling that he would be very upfront, you know, in making that kind of announcement and talking to the person who was potentially coming out the sort of the wrong side of that decision. He would do a really nice job of putting that to them in a sort of in a way that was very understanding, but also was like true, you know, that was like, listen, I'm going with so-and-so today because this this and this that doesn't mean you're rubbish or you know and there will probably you know potentially there's a role for you off the bench or whatever you know you kind of get the sense that he would put that across in a way that would be yeah very psychologically beneficial to kind of keeping that person motivated and engaged and all the rest of it so yeah I've 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 been very impressed with him I've you know I'd seen various bits and pieces of him at, at Celtic and things and had always been impressed there um I really like it's a it's a A a kind of a line uh, that he's used a few times of sort of talking about the difference between like what fans can and should expect. So sort of when people are kind of like, you know, should the fans get excited? That was was probably the first video where he really kind of caught my attention was that he was asked that in a press conference when he was at Celtic. And he sort of said like, yeah, the fans should get carried away. The fans should get excited because that's what that's their job. But, he, you know, but then he sort of brought it back to you. But our job is very different, you know, and we have to sort of prepare for this, not just being a walkover or whatever. You know, When, you, when you're Celtic in the Scottish League, you, you probably have a little bit more sort of capacity for maybe complacency or, or whatever. But, you know, I loved the way that he sort of differentiated that, because I think all too often that line gets a little bit blurred and you do definitely have managers who sort of act more like more like fans in some ways of kind of trying to sort of G up people and and kind of get that sense of sort of excitement or or expectation behind them. But that's also then a double-edged sword because if it doesn't go your way, then you potentially look foolish off the back of that as the manager. So, yeah, I've been incredibly impressed by a lot of what he said. Um, And, you know, even I think through the course of this season, the way that he has sort of tempered expectations at various points been really authentic in in his assessment of things he is very good another thing i like about him is that he's very good at sort of accepting responsibility um himself you know and the, you know certainly for a period of time after that kind of horrific <laughs> sort of slightly traumatizing chelsea game you know there were plenty of opportunities when he could have passed the buck and he could have said oh well this is because of injuries oh this is because of suspensions and he basically never did that and and actually even in some press conferences you know, was given questions that would have given him a really easy out. You know, the, the questions that were specifically framed around, oh, well, is this because of injuries? And he has kind of almost purposely sort of shunned that line of of thinking, and gone, no, no, like at the end of the day, this is my job. I'm the manager. I pick the team and I pick a team that I think is going to win. Like, and I, I just really, really respect that, again, as a sort of an individual, but also as, as a sports, like I think that really speaks to a certain sort of integrity and authenticity that will be recognized by the players and which will make them more motivated, more
1: incentive, incentivized, more kind of bought into the into the plan. Just um, music to my ears that, uh, <laughs> yes, we love him and also we're right to love him is, is the message I'm getting. Um, a couple of points on the the really interesting point you raised about team selection and how he might handle that. So we, just for context, we're recording on the 9th of February ahead of the Brighton match. And he specifically mentioned something in his pre-match press conference that I think relates to this. Obviously, we've got Basuma coming back from the African Cup of Nations. Saar is already back. Madison has returned from injury. So suddenly we've gone from being bare bones in midfield to having a plethora of options. And he has really interestingly, I think, essentially said, I've got a bunch of midfielders, each with different skill sets, who all suit different purposes. And I think he's doing that and being very open about that specifically for the reason you cited, so that he can say to players when they're not picked, well, I want to pick X player today because I need someone to hold the ball and beat the press or play long passes over the top or, I don't know, drop deep and split the centre-backs, whatever reason it might be, um, run box-to-box all game. There's, there's a whole host of different characteristics amongst the midfielders and he's given himself in in making this really apparent to the press um permission to have those conversations with the players which i think is really interesting and also there is a a, there's so much kind of um and material out there from his previous roles because although he might not have been mr famous he has always been an interesting character and so people have always wanted to talk to him and so there's lots of interviews and one of them i heard Uh, involved him describing how he doesn't like to get too close to players and too friendly with players, specifically because when he has to make those decisions around team selection, if he has a friendship with one player and not another, uh, he might be biased. And he recognizes that removing those biases helps him make a a more objective decision. And oh my goodness, it was so good to hear that said in that way. Because often... It feels quite nice when you see coaches and managers being matey with players and having having little special relationships with certain players. And as fans, it's it's gives us a kick to see those behind the scenes videos where the manager's got his arm around a certain player every week and like, No, he, he Poch just loves Harry Kane or Ryan Mason or whoever it might be. But actually, Ange has sort of shown us a different way, and I kind of prefer that way. Yeah, and I I, I completely agree. I think it's.
2: I think it's kind of, again, it sort of probably touches on that sort of, there's something quite common sense about that of like, well, if you're in that position of power where you are selecting the team, it's not going to necessarily be great for the team dynamic if, you know, particularly, you know, the risk is if almost by coincidence just because of the sort of personality types, you you become quite friendly with, let's say it's Bentanku, right? And then all of a sudden that means that one of Basuma and Sara is probably missing out, right? Well if you're one you're if you're the one who then gets dropped that match, are you sitting there going, well, it's just mm. because he's matey with Bentanku, even if it's actually got nothing to do with that. It's just that for the moment he's deemed to be the better player or because of the specific circumstances of who we're playing in the next match. It it's a really Kind of quick and easy way to start sort of sowing a little bit of kind of resentment or, or or discontent within the within the group where people feel like that but i think it's also important to to notice that like although he says that and i i i believe that to be true and that he keeps a, a sort of a, you know a professional distance but he's he is also clearly quite connected to a lot of the players and does make a lot of effort so you know we did have the charming video of him you know welcoming our new signings and stuff through january and kind of coming over And yeah, we, there was all the sort of like the the body's going to come and get me, but all the ITK of kind of like certain deals being done because body, sorry, because because (laughs) Andrew kind of, because Andrew was sort of calling the players and convincing them and things like that. So he, he clearly has a really strong rapport. I think he just tries to keep that rapport very similar across the board. So like he is very willing to come over and say kind things and put an arm around someone, but he would do that in. I think, I think he's almost actively trying to cultivate the, the fact that he does that in an almost identical, very similar way from one player to the other. And that's where I think the fact that he's also gives off this sense of authenticity is really important because you could very easily come unstuck if you were just saying the same thing to, this, to every person in a very similar way. That could come across as very fake very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think he, I, I suspect what he gets right is he tweaks the language slightly he maybe does it in a slightly different way but I think the way that he goes about it he's he's not clearly closer to some players than others and because there is this kind of like he just speaks quite you know from the hip quite authentically quite honestly I suspect what he actually says to each player kind of resonates with with them individually quite well but you also do get a sense that like okay yeah like he's not he's not either kind of blowing smoke and trying to make me feel better about myself and you know and I don't believe him or he's making stuff up because he's about to drop me yeah like I I think there probably is a sense there and and that's a really really difficult balance to strike particularly you know in a in a sport like football where you've got Obviously, you know, there's, it's not like an individual sport where what you say to one particular player only really impacts them, right? When you've got to manage a squad and those decisions of who starts and who doesn't and who's on the bench and who isn't, when are you bringing people back from injury and all the rest of it? Like there are really tricky decisions in, in that. And I think just being upfront about a lot of it is, is a really, really
1: helpful way to, way to go. Nice. So I will start with some questions now. Um this oh, actually one... sorry. Can sorry, I, yeah, can I interrupt
2: on. just before we do that? Because there is one really teeny tiny little observation that I love about Ange, and it's kind of um particularly relevant because it's obviously the the snippet that's used in the uh in the theme for the show is um the thing I love most about that enjoy your lunch talk, right? Which which feels like it could have been like a Hollywood script, right? But the thing I absolutely love most about it, I I love everything. I like that it happens at lunch the most, because actually one of the things that I think is really underrated in basically all sports is like that sort of pre-competition routine and the, the getting each player to sort of be in their own sort of optimal state. And actually, I could imagine if you gave that speech five minutes before kickoff, for some players, it might be almost ruinous. The, the like because it, it's all about like go out there you're not just representing yourself you're representing your friends your family the people closest to you the people who sacrifice for some people that sense of pressure could be really unhelpful and could be like really really adverse for mm. their performance mm. so actually the fact that he says it clearly at lunchtime right so you've got to assume that's at least hours before they would be playing or whatever, right? So he's saying that, he's setting out his stool of like, listen, these are the values that are important to me. And I think these are values that you guys can also sort of respect and use as as motivation. But he's not doing it five minutes before. People have that time to to process it and go away and kind of like, let them the message sink in, but then also go about getting ready for whatever the match was in their own way, in their own time to get themselves into that that own headspace that's going to work right for them. And I think, yeah, that that for me is actually the, the bit that's almost most impressive. It's not just how brilliantly
1: worded it is, but it's the, the timing of it as well. That's really fascinating. And um, yes, I imagine deliberate. It's hard to know for sure, isn't it? Whether it was deliberate or not, but it f- feels like it would have been deliberate um, and does, as you say, give time for players who might be slightly overwhelmed by the pressure to kind of calm down and then do what they need to do pre-match to take the pressure off and, and kind of get in their own zone, as it were. Um, Yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought of that in that way at all. So that's a really fascinating insight. Um, So Brian David says, firstly, I always love the conversations with Alex. I'm looking forward to another podcast with him. Frank, thank you very much, Brian. Uh, He says, we've had a number of injuries this season. And I wonder if Alex has any insight into how sports psychology might mitigate the mental effects of repeated injury layoffs, both for the injured players and their teammates who must deal with changing teams and demoralized teammates. And yeah, we kind of heard snippets of this this season. Uh, the impact of players going away has had on, on the teammates. Uh, for example, Son being away at the Asian Games and Romero supposedly stepping up to the plate and being the one to go and check in on all the players in Son's absence. I really like that uh, insight. Uh, also, the idea of Bentancourt just repeatedly banging on Andrews' door, begging to be brought back into the fold, even when he wasn't quite ready. I think tells something about uh, how difficult he found it being away from the group. And obviously he's, he's still socializing and spending time with them in the, in the training center, but it's not the same as being on the training pitch with them. So any insight you can offer on um, how sports psychology can, can mitigate the mental effects as Brian puts it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a topic that a lot of sports psychologists work on. Like it's sort of one of the kind of the,
2: the, the core ones, although it's often, somewhat overlooked because it obviously only applies in very specific circumstances when you have someone who's injured. Um, It's, it's really hard. And, and, you know, I think for those players who who have suffered from kind of like those really long-term injuries it's it can be really destabilizing um a lot of the time yeah you know, as with most psychology there's there's definitely a sense of kind of there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all policy for that you know and actually someone you know on the one hand to to your question there about sort of Bentancour and kind of going and, and knocking on the door and and, and all the rest right is like some players will be like that they will be jumping at the bit desperate to get back but for others and it may actually be quite an intimidating process you know of of almost like am i fully ready and you might have Ooh. players who you know the 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 rest of the sports science team the doctors the physios all the rest of it are going like no they're good to go like what's the hang up here you know but actually they may just not feel like they can trust their body yet and there may also obviously be fears of like, particularly, you know, it's a, a fear that, that's been voiced on the pod, right? Of like, is some, is Bentancur going to come back and be the player he was? You know, is Van de Ven, I mean, it looks like so far touch wood he has been, but you know, like coming back from a hamstring injury when pace is like such a core component of his his game right like is he you know that it's not hard to imagine that he might now every time he turns and has to sprint to cover back is that little kind of voice in the back of his head going is your hamstring hamstring going to go again right like and that's that's where the sort of sports psychology comes in is is not just managing the potential frustrations of the of the rehab process and trying to sort of stay focused that that tends to be around sort of staying very kind of process driven step by step you know like what are we doing today to get you back where you want to be you know by whatever the deadline is and it becomes very kind of just like okay let's celebrate the little wins along the way you know like let's take pride in that because for a lot of people you know a lot of these these athletes right professional footballers will have been playing football like an unbelievable number of hours a week or training or playing or whatever from a very 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 young age if you take that away that's hugely disruptive and but and for a lot of them you know very understandably their their self esteem their identity their morale their confidence all the rest of it will will probably be pretty closely linked to their performance in training their performance on the pitch at, you know during matches and so when you remove that there's this huge void potentially that you're trying to fill and you're trying to kind of reframe okay well all right cool like you were able to do a hamstring curl with like unweighted, but you could do a hamstring curl today for the first time in two weeks. Like that's a huge victory in the rehab process, but that's not going to be the same kind of currency almost. Yeah of what they've been used to celebrating and used to be, you know, used to kind of deriving their sense of, of worth and identity and value and all the rest beforehand. So there's a lot of, there's often work around that of just trying to sort of like find those little wins and making sure that they are really celebrating them and taking, you know, taking them for what they are and building the sort of sense of confidence and self-esteem out of that while that's going on. That then also helps with the transition process, right? Because if you've been kind of building that confidence and building that self-esteem of like, yeah, okay, this isn't what you would have liked to have been doing, but hey, you did a hamstring card today for the first time or whatever. Like you can go from there to, okay, well, we've been tracking your progress. We know that this is where you started post-injury. We've been watching you kind of get better and better and better. That can help give that sense of confidence then when it is time to return that, yeah, you really have done everything that's been asked of you you've been noticing that you've been paying attention to that and celebrating that so that when you are then called on you know to come off the bench for your first appearance and then make your first start you've you've been yeah you've been paying attention to the the whole process along the way to get you back to there. And that, that can give you that sense of confidence and readiness so that you're maybe not having that kind of lingering doubt that you may otherwise have. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's a tricky process for some people because that, that adjustment in terms of where you're like, how, how you're setting your goals and, where you're deriving your sense of of self worth comes from, that is that that's not easy to do when these are like really really ingrained habits that have probably been in place for yeah you know years and years, decades at this point, right? For most of these players, um, and then the other little point just around sort of staying sort of balanced and kind of staying involved in the squad is that that, that also, again, is kind of going to be quite individual. So for some players actually, or I think for a lot of sports people, the instinct is, Oh, I want to stay involved. I I don't want to feel like I'm missing out. So they will go to training and things like that. But very often that becomes incredibly frustrating because now you're just sort of stood around watching everyone doing what you want to be doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're possible you're watching the person who's going to start in your spot you know going about doing their drills and all the rest of it and that's always going to be kind of bad news no matter which way you look at, it, or if, if you've got the right mindset or if you've got that kind of mindset right you're going to look at them going either they're not as good as me this is frustrating i can't believe they're starting or you're going to be watching them do really well going oh man i don't know if i'm going to get my place back right and either way that's not an ideal place to be so actually sometimes just kind of removing the source of that frustration removing the, the sort of temptation to think in those slightly unhelpful ways it's probably going to be kind of yeah ultimately better actually potentially just to be like okay i'm gonna come in i'll do my rehab at the yeah, at the training ground i'll see everyone or maybe i'll kind of join people for sort of team meals but actually, I'm then going to kind of head off and do my own thing. And and I think probably, yeah, m- most clubs, I think, would probably have like a reasonable amount of sort of flexibility about like what's going to be best for, for that player in that situation to kind of like, yeah, make the make the right choices so that they feel like they're still part of it. They're still getting, obviously, the, the, the technical support and the access to the sort of resources and facilities that they need to recover as quickly as they can. But at the same time, they're not
1: feeling they're not sort of like stuck there with a kind of the grass is greener kind of in their face the whole time and I think that exact point is backed up by the fact that I think it was James Madison was allowed to go abroad to do some of his rehab um he, he was allowed to take his family abroad with him and he would still be working working really hard doing his rehab during the day but then he's in a different environment probably warmer it's it's slightly nicer to do the outdoor work um it's away from everyone else so there's no kind of watching on enviously and then also it's it's you know special time away with the family as well, so it feels like um, a bit of a treat in a way to to have that, yeah. that time. Um, so it's yeah, that's something that is clearly being thought about as Spurs, which I'm I'm really pleased about. Yeah, and I think it it you know
2: it's one of those phrases that I I have to use and kind of quite carefully with clients, right? But like every, you know, there probably is some kind of silver lining to some you know to pretty much every cloud, right? And so finding what that is. And then trying to kind of hone in on that is probably important, you know, Like, and so if for for Madison that was, oh, OK, right, I'm injured. I obviously don't want to be injured. I would much rather be playing football. But the silver lining is I get to go and spend a couple of weeks with my family in the sun. Hey, that's something I wouldn't have been able to do at this point in my life. So, hey, that's pretty great. You know, and so actually, yeah, I think I, I, I really like that. I was really like that. And was quite... Um, was very protective of of I think a journalist asked about it being a holiday or something, and 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 sort of <laughs> jumped on them and was like, "No, it's not a holiday. He's out there recovering. He just happens to be doing it somewhere sunnier." Like, and and I thought that was just really interesting as well. Um, that yeah, he's even even under those situations, you know, Ange is there like very much sort of like protecting the players in in those moments. Um, and again, I think that just speaks to his authenticity and, and and I guess to the the other half of the the question about the injuries was was around sort of how it may be impacts the team dynamics and I think one of the things that was very impressive about Angie in particular through that was that he just didn't, he didn't flinch. He never used it as an excuse for, for poor performances. And again, I think that was just something about his sort of his own, yeah, his own willingness to take responsibility for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think there are also, there are impacts potentially on, on some of the, the dynamics that then happen. And I think that's, that's a really interesting angle as well. And um, that would be in terms of what sports psychology may or may not be doing in those circumstances is going to depend a lot on what the the setup is within each and every individual club. But, you know, I think, again, from a just from the sort of outsider's perspective, seeing what Ange was saying in in press conferences and so on sort of suggested to me that he was probably trying pretty hard to kind of manage those expectations of within the club of, of, and within the, the players of sort of like trying to set expectations correctly, you know, still being incredibly ambitious. And that was what he was always saying in his press conferences is like, I'm going to select a team that I think can win regardless of who's available or not. But yeah, trying to... You know just instill within those players you know like well this is you know this is your opportunity this is your chance to step up you know everyone here is is you know should be able to kind of make this work essentially like everyone here is a capable footballer who can step in you know as and when um but that's that's really tricky and I think there's there's a there's another question in the running order potentially about sort of like losing our heads and getting rattled and I think that may also have have factored in a little bit in the injury uh, or like or the the, the losing in, the injuries probably factored into some of those matches where we we have lost our heads or made silly mistakes or even just sort of like made obvious kind of howlers of, of individual mistakes is I think that when you do have that inconsistency of a lineup, you don't have that chance to build a really clear kind of relationship with the people around you on the pitch who you interact with most often. I think there is a chance that you don't necessarily you don't, you don't know how much you can trust the person next to you or whatever. And I think there's probably been moments when, you know, we've had players kind of lunge in for silly tackles, thinking particularly of, of I think Bas- Basuma was was um, uh, guilty of one, kind of lunged into a tackle that immediately got quite widely criticized as like being very stupid, like completely reckless, very needless. But he was playing with a completely unfamiliar back line at that point. And so I think there's definitely a possibility that he was, sat there thinking, if I don't get that ball, I don't I don't know for sure whether this results in a goal or not, you know, or a, a clear goal scoring opportunity. So he I think he may have thought, I think I've got the skills to just about get away with this. It's slightly higher higher risk than I would like it to be, but at the same time it's probably worth it because This way I can, if I get it right, I can end the problem now rather than making it someone else's problem. Um, And I think that that speaks to, again, some of those issues potentially where you don't have the have the people around you that you're as familiar with.
0: Selling a little or a lot.
1: So, the question about losing heads was from Lee Fraser. So, specifically, he said, with such a young squad and with the two vice captains of the squad getting involved and sucked into the shenanigans too, what approach can the coaches take to get the team to adapt to the game state in a positive way? And I think um, it's it's relating to uh, more pay and the Brentford game where Madison really got properly sucked in and Andrew was quite uh, cross with him about that, I think uh but these things happen in football you know you do have running battles on the pitch and it's kind of inevitable uh do you think there's anything that the coaches could do to encourage them not to be sucked in yeah it's it's such a tricky one right
2: because first of all as a fan you're like ah this is brilliant right when you when you see the, <laughs> the players afterwards kind of like mocking mocking my with the uh <laughs> with the dart celebrations and things um I think from the uh, you can understand it in a lot of ways because obviously or you can understand the frustration potentially from from Andrew's perspective in in terms of these are professionals and this is their job and it, I think you you can argue that that's probably not super helpful from a performance perspective right you you kind of you do want players sort of remaining remaining calm we spoke a little bit already about the sort of the idea of trying to get yourself into that ideal headspace to, to perform and you kind of want to then stay there and that's tricky um at the best of times but if you've got someone who's been kind of you know winding you up if you then go and equalize and score a late winner and all the rest of it like of course you're going to be excited about that and you might choose to kind of have a moment to unload and kind of celebrate in a way that is perhaps a little bit silly or cheeky or you know maybe not not fully professional i guess um in terms of what you could specifically be doing about it, it that i think is really is again it's quite a delicate balance because you you obviously want people to be enjoying what they're doing right and people get into professional football because they really love playing football right for the most part like that's why you end up doing it is it it's just something you enjoy and you don't you don't really want to take away that enjoyment because you don't want them running around like kind of mindless robots you know it, it's important that they enjoy the process of going out there and doing what they do because otherwise all the negativity or the pressure or whatever becomes kind of completely untenable right you need to be balancing that with the satisfaction of going out and doing doing things well but I think that's probably where that balance then starts to tip over right is like are you enjoying? The kind of the actual processes, I guess, right, of, of performing well, doing the things that you need to be doing, executing the skills that you've been training on, you know, helping your teammates, enjoying that kind of more what the, the word we would use in psychology is this, the slightly sort of more intrinsic things of kind of like that sense of just sort of developing your sense of value and self-worth and all the rest of it through noticing the good things that you're doing to learn and develop and execute rather than the more ex extrinsic or external things of like ha 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 i've just made that guy look like an idiot you know which is very tempting it's very human is very understandable um but is probably generally not quite as helpful but you but you know, the, in as much as the, you know, the, the research on kind of motivation and things like that, of like intrinsic versus extrinsic says that like, you can have a bit of both. You just don't want to be fully focused on those external goals, whether that's winning, winning matches or winning trophies or winning personal, you know, personal kind of accolades or winding up your opponent's. If you're only focused on those or too focused on those, that ultimately can be kind of unhelpful. Um, it's also one of those things that that is tricky because you know i mean football is obviously an unbelievably complicated game if you if you think about the amount of mental processing power that goes into you know even just a split second of Mm. a football match where like there's you there's your 10 other teammates there's 11 opposition there's a referee there's weather conditions there's a ball traveling with spin and all the rest of it right and you're trying to judge where you need to be what you're going to do, how you're going to interact with all of your teammates in a way that's going to outmaneuver all of the people on the opposite team, right? Like, I mean, the the processing power required for that is just phenomenal. You really need to be dedicating, you know, and and the human brain has a limit to how much it can process, right? Just like a computer or a phone or whatever, right? So if you overload it or give it too many kind of non-essential tasks to focus on, like if, if I do this, will it annoy that guy? you run the risk of actually being detrimental to your own performance, right? Because actually that's brain power that you probably could or should have been putting into something more directly game focused. So I think, so I guess if you're working on that, basis and your that is your genuine kind of motivation and how you're processing and how you're performing right is like okay if i do this this and this that's what the coaches told me that's what i think is going to help that's what we've been practicing that's what i'm going to feel proud of myself for and the ball goes in the back of the net and then In that moment when you've got a bit of free brain power because the match isn't happening because the ball's in the back of the net, you decide to be a bit silly. I'm kind of all right with that. Um, But if that has been kind of a bit of a distraction along the way, that's obviously when it becomes a little bit more problematic. So I think just so long as there's kind of like, I think that's probably where I'd be coming at that from would be like, okay, like there can be a bonus, almost like a byproduct is you're going to annoy your opposition, right? But that's not the goal, right? And actually, arguably, in sports psychology, a lot of the time, you would even talk about the result of the match itself in that, in that context of, like, if you do the right things, if you play the right passes, if you make the right movements, all the rest of it, you are... That should be what you're deriving your sense of pride from. That's what you've been practicing for. If you keep doing that in the right way over and over and over again, more often than that, more often than not, the ball will go in the right net, more often than it goes in the wrong net, and you'll win more matches than you lose, and you'll get more points, and then you'll end up higher in the table. But that's kind of generally how you'd want to sort of think about it. It's like, do the processes right and everything else follows but again, almost like a, a a byproduct or a bonus of doing the right things on the pitch, yeah. You know, when you're meant to do them, and winding mm-hmm. up your opponents is probably another little fun bonus point, uh, you know, that comes out of that as well.
1: Oh, I think I think um, more pay is a really useful uh, case study in this, in in everything you've just described, because uh, obviously we understand now the purpose of him doing this. He wants to distract. He wants to use up the opponent's brain power on things that don't help their own performance. But in doing so, he is distracting from his own performance. And perhaps if he spent a little less time trying to wind up the opposition, and a little bit more time focusing on his own abilities, he might have scored a few more goals over the years. But yeah, who am I to judge? And,
2: and it can also it can backfire even more than that, right? So it can not only impact your own performance because you're not paying attention to things you arguably should be, but also if you're putting that time and energy into trying to wind up your opponent and they don't, where well, you can end up being frustrated by that as well because you're like, yeah. oh, but I'm doing all the right things, like quote unquote right things, right? I'm doing all the right things to wind them up and they're still cool as a cucumber what can i be doing more why is this not working and then you actually have added almost an element of frustration to your own own game because your your wind-up techniques aren't working and they're not having the effect that you want right and if you've got a yeah if you have kind of backed yourself into a corner where like that's a kind of core part of your your game if it doesn't work that's really a problem because now you've just got this like really cool calm collected like opponent who's your sort of opposite number or whatever who's Got your number, like they're, they're they're making you play in a way that is uncomfortable for you, and so you've kind of ended up in a position where that's that's then really tricky. Nice,
1: nice. So moving on to the next question. This one is from Toby Hall, who said Spurs have apparently signed an exciting young Swede, which got me thinking about the step up that young players are often expected to make, not just physically but also psychologically. Can Alex dig into a bit? Of the kinds of psychological challenges that young players face when they're signed by a big club like Spurs, bigger than Barcelona, don't you know? And, and this ties in very nicely to your new area of research, I think, Alex. Uh, so, um, is there anything you can offer Toby by uh, means of reassurance around the, the step up that Burfam might have to take? Yeah,
2: I think it's it's
1: yeah. So this this ties in a little
2: bit more to yeah where my my doctoral research is now is now headed. Um, it, it's. It's interesting because there's there's quite a lot of, or there's a sort of little niche within sports psychology of looking at these sort of like career transitions. And this this kind of junior to senior ranks is, is kind of identified as one of those sort of moments where, yeah, there's a real change in, in expectations and, and it, it's a, tr- a really tricky one to navigate. Um, and it's sort of the kind of thing that it, it's largely unavoidable if that's the career path you're on and and that doesn't necessarily always have to be within professional athletes right it's true kind of at any level of of any sport is like if you're trying to go from those kind of junior ranks where it's sort of all maybe a little bit more casual to the sort of like oh well here we are in the in the sort of the big bad senior ranks right and there's also a difference there's often a very big difference where actually it goes from being like you just have to be the best in your year right so you can be the best under 10 then the best under 11 then the best under 13 or whatever right you you're you're only in a pool that's as big as that year and then all of a sudden you're in the senior ranks where it it covers 10 plus years and so all of a sudden you're just in a bigger a bigger pool of characters anyway and and regardless of the fact that those people you know a lot of those people have more experience and all the rest of it like so that's a huge huge difference a lot of the time anyway it's just that you're you're suddenly competing against a much broader number um of individuals um it it is challenging, and I think it's it's one of the well, I think just in general, like there's a lot of a lot of um, football fans, and and even a lot of sort of football punditry and commentary and and, and journalism fails to take into account, you know, that. There can be a real difference in terms of physical maturity and psychological or, or, or mental maturity. And by maturity, I don't mean that they are kind of mature as a sort of character trait of being sort of sensible, but like just the, the development rates there. Um, and that, you know, it's, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the human brain doesn't finish developing until sort of potentially mid 20s in a lot of cases. And so, and that isn't necessarily tied to how physically mature they are. So you can have someone who at 18, 19, looks you know (laughs) looks like Luke Littler Um, or you know it looks like they need to be shaving you know twice a day and all the rest of it but they actually may not have the same mental maturity mental development uh, at that point so that's that's always tricky um, to navigate and is is quite hard also to sort of justify or sorry I'm not justify but sort of evaluate I guess and um, yeah quantify even Um, you can kind of look at to physical human beings and say, oh, okay, these are both eighteen, but that one kind of looks sixteen and that one looks twenty-two. That's that's kind of slightly there. Are, there are easier metrics to to measure that potentially than kind of going, okay, well, where are we in terms of sort of brain development and so on? Um, and and the issues that sort of face a player in that situation are are obviously really different as well um, and. The pressure that comes with that step up is is often huge. Um, it, learning how to to navigate that. I mean, in in some ex, you know, to some extent, it comes back to to topics we've already sort of spoken about a little bit of just sort of like focusing on doing the right things, right? Learning the the processes and concentrating your efforts on trying to sort of celebrate when those go well. And, you know, so that if you are training with the first team and you're doing a good job there, that's probably all that's going to be asked of, you know, Bergwahl and, and, and a lot of the other sort of academy players who've maybe been training with the first team, particularly during the injury crises that we've had, you know, like is is if you are there and you are being told you're doing a good job by Ange or the other, you know, the assistant coaches or whatever, that's probably all that's being expected of you and you're not you're not actually being called on to play matches or get minutes right so kind of just take that almost at face value, but make sure that you're really celebrating that for what it is rather than getting too caught up in the sort of direct comparisons of, well, am I getting minutes? Am I doing this? You know, all the rest of it. Like, because that's, that's, you know, you're, you're there for a reason. Um, And that reason may well just be kind of exposure and learning and developing. Um, And I think also that then there's also a lot to be said for the way that actually sort of not throwing some of these players in, at the deep end. Right. And we've, you know, with, you know, Brendan Johnson, who is also quite, you know, quite young, although maybe not as, not, not kind of 18, but um, has because of, you know, partly because of the injuries that we've had, has, has played a lot of games, quite, you know, important games when there weren't a lot of other options. So he's had to play a lot of minutes. And that's, that's really difficult potentially, right? Because then you do have these other elements that get kind of thrown into the mix rather than just being able to, or that you can be tempted to, to over emphasize, right? So rather than just being like, Hey, I'm a relatively young player who's playing with, you know, with the first squad of a of a kind of top 6 Premier League team. Like isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? And actually I'm getting really good feedback from the from the manager and the assistant coaches who are telling me I'm doing all the things that are expected. And hey, I've been rewarded with the opportunity to start this weekend. But then you come off the back of that and you're like, well, ah, oh, did I do enough did i do did i score enough goals did i create enough assists did i do this do it did i do that whereas actually on the face of it a lot of you know not just johnson but you know all of these these players are kind of they're, they're sort of living the dream in a lot of ways that, that, but it can be easy to overlook that and kind of underemphasize the fact that actually a lot of what's happening here is really 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 good and that you should be kind of trying to focus more on those and that's just that's just a trick of, of how the human brain tends to work. We t- almost all of us are subject to, to various sort of cognitive biases and things like that, where we over, overemphasize the things that we've done wrong or the mistakes that we've made and, and underappreciate the things that we're good at or the things that we did well. Um, and we are also incredibly bad at remembering how far we've come on a on a development journey so again almost coming back to the injury thing right it's like it's important to remember where you started in a process so that you can really fully celebrate how far you've come and the human brain is really bad at that we are constantly kind of rewriting history oh yeah i always knew how to do that like well what no you didn't obviously you didn't like you had to learn how to do that as well so i think there's a lot that can be done there of just sort of trying to remind these players that that you know they don't need to be starting every match they don't need to be scoring and assisting or whatever the right metric is for their position you know that actually a lot of what's been happening is 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 really great for them and that that's what they need to be sort of focusing on and driving their sort of motivation and confidence from rather than getting caught up in the sort of I guess the 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 kind of narratives and stats that potentially are kind of more how fans and commentators and pundits and journalists and all the rest of it kind of evaluate performance I think actually trying to sort of almost disregard as much of that as possible possible is is probably quite helpful in
1: that process mm. so interesting i think um i'm just thinking about as, as you were speaking i was thinking about jamie donnelly and the kind of um how he would have felt being in the other 21s in a restricted age group and how he was very much the guy. He was like the one that they would pass to, to get them a goal or get them out of trouble or even just to sort of reset the the attacking move there they're on when it's not quite going right or um, when they're under pressure, they can give the ball to Donnelly and know it's secure. Um, so being the guy in, a, in an, an emotional sense, I suppose, but also in an actual on the football pitch sense and then stepping up and not being the guy in either of those ways, like of course uh, I don't know um, James Madison doesn't think that Jamie Donnelly is the guy to give the ball to 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 get a goal that would be completely unreasonable. But also like he's just not receiving the ball as much because other players are the guy at that level, um, and, and so naturally he's not having as many touches. So the impact that must have on a player is really significant, and it just makes me uh, admire Delhi even more because he made that transition look completely seamless and Kane as well, I suppose is another really good example. And I guess it's just about kind of keeping grounded and um, focusing on uh, what should come if you, if you're right, if you're making all the right process steps in your own preparation for hopefully being the guy in the future. Yeah. I do also think that, you know, having, having spoken about how like individual players can forget how far they've
2: come and what the sort of, the the, sort of the, the fair benchmarks are for, for performance, I do think as a fan base we've totally lost all perspective. Partly because of Delhi, that he like yeah. we bought him for such a tiny fee, and like we lent we we loaned him back to MK um, uh, Dons um, was it MK yeah. Dons, um, and then like when he joined the team in the summer, like. He was starting within like a couple of months and was like undroppable getting England caps like within mm-hmm. the first half of the season scoring yeah. like scoring worldies for fun right and I think now for like a lot of Spurs fans are like well why isn't Brennan Johnson as, like, as as kind of good value <laughs> as Delhi was? And even if they kind of, like, try to adjust a little bit, we, mm. like, the bar was set so high with them yeah. in, in those first two or three seasons where he was just unbelievably good. Like, I mean, he was, the, like, kind of far and away the best sort of young player in the Premier League, like, and, and arguably one of the best in the, the entire world, right? And I think even if you try and adjust that down a little bit in the in the sort of the, the, in the name of fairness on our other junior players, you're still so far above what the yeah. average yeah kind of expectation would be for a player of that age and level making that step up. Um, so yeah, I'm. <laughs> I hope that I hope that the Spurs fans can kind of as a, as a collective we can start to kind of like process See, a little better of what what we can be getting from some of these these younger players who we've we've signed um or who we're bringing through the academy because they are they're not going to be delhi like literally like they're just not it was quite astonishing how good he was um and expecting these players to even be half as good as delhi was in his first season would still probably be a,
1: an unbelievably good return on most of them. amazing point Yeah, such a good point um uh, this, this, I knew this podcast was going to be a long one because yeah, I, <laughs> I, I love, no, please don't apologize. I, I, I love it. I love these conversations and I think we're going to have to, um, come back to some of the questions, but I do want to cover Richarlison with you. It's very topical at the moment. And we had a question from Danny S who himself is a therapist who, um, works with young people. And Danny says, uh, that there's. it's quite a long question, but I'll go to the end. He says, how does this play out with clubs seeking mental health support for players? Is the role of the sports psychologist to support sporting success or support overall wellness? It all feels a little like HR being there for the employees. Um, and Charleston is a really interesting case because uh, he has spoken openly about his mental health struggles recently, which is still... Uh, relatively unusual in in football, certainly top-level football. And he has been really clear about why it's unusual for someone who comes from where he comes from to to talk openly and to seek support. Now, I'm very keen to emphasize that you are a sports psychologist and you're not a psychotherapist. And so your role is very different. But do you have much to uh, offer on on the subject of Richardson and, and specifically Danny's
2: question. I think it's it's a really it's a really interesting question, and and I think yeah, Richardson is 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 a, a super interesting and and hopefully a really really helpful example. Um, I guess more more broadly to the question then I might come back to Richardson sp- specifically, but I think it's it's an area where there definitely can be a tension between like the sort of sporting performance and kind of overall mental health and well-being um as a sports psychologist yes there are there are boundaries to what we can kind of officially sort of deal with um that tends to be one of the, I guess the sort of quote unquote clearest kind of um, limits that would be around sort of like actual kind of diagnosable mental health. Conditions. So, like at that point, we would seek to refer. Like, if we would, we're sort of trained to identify symptoms of that, but like we're not in a position to directly diagnose or mm-hmm. help, you know, treat, I guess. Um, though, so, like, if you're working with someone and, and you become suspicious that they've got kind of a, a sort of diagnosable kind of depression or anxiety or any other sort of mental health uh, condition, right? We're meant to refer them on to either a clinical psychologist or to a psychiatrist or or whatever that happens to be. Um, That can be a bit of a gray area in and of of itself. Um, So there's, there's often sort of ethical kind of dilemmas that, that that can kind of come up in those situations, particularly if you've been working with a client for a while, they have a a, a connection with you. They maybe don't love the idea of, of working with someone else. And so there can be a bit of a sort of bridging period where you're like, well, well, I'm pretty sure there's something else going on here, and I would I would like you to get that additional help, but I'm also not going to like I can't cut you loose, I can't, and I can't force your hand into doing that either. So in the meantime, I will obviously continue to support you in the best way that I can, while knowing that I'm not really trained to do so. So there's there's definitely can be some grey areas there. Um, more. More generally, though, you know, there's actually potentially less of a tension than there might officially be. It's one of those things where when you're, when you're kind of starting out in your sports psychology kind of training and you're, you're learning about this, is it's a kind of classic example. Of, oh, well, what would you do in this situation? I think it actually possibly comes up slightly less often than, than people might think, because actually generally a happy athlete is a successful athlete and vice versa. So actually, if you've got someone who is not feeling great about themselves in whatever way shape or form in a sort of more general sense that's probably also going to have a knock-on effect on their performance so you can and when you're talking with talking about high level elite or and or professional athletes though as i already said right those two things tend to be really really closely linked right their identity is tied to their sport and their sport is cl- tied to their identity and and their well-being is tied to all of those and all the rest of it. so if you can work on the performance element that may have an impact on their general sense of, of mental well-being as well. Or it may be that you feel like you can work on some of the other areas and that actually improves the the well-being, uh, sorry, the performance as well. So it, there's a bit of a sort of chicken and egg situation there. And as the sports psychologist, you, you may end up having to kind of you test the waters to see where the right place to start is in order to kind of essentially help out on both sides of, of that equation how do you get them pe- feeling better about the performances and feeling better about themselves more generally um that being said yeah you know that it may also be a case that in some situations you want to find additional resources who can help with with one side of that so that you've got someone working more on the sort of the general well-being and general mental health and then you're working more specifically on the on the performance side of things um yeah so it's it's it can be it can be tricky you just Ultimately you kind of want someone, you know, ultimately, yeah, you, you're more often than not, I would say if you can get them feeling better about the performances, it's probably going to have a decently, you know, helpful impact on their well-being, or, or the other way around. So actually often they go hand in hand. I think they probably go hand in hand, perhaps more often than they do in the other sports sciences. So like, if you've got someone who's playing through an injury then there is a real question of like is this is there a well being case here where actually the injury may get worse the more we play them so should we be dropping them for a couple of matches and letting them recover or do we let them play through and hope that it gets better in psychology actually particularly if what you're working on is you know as you can imagine like a lot of the, the the things are ultimately going to come back to i don't feel like i'm performing well enough in matches like i'm not representing myself i'm not showing how good i am in 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 training potentially then you kind of do still more again rule of thumb but more often than not you're, you're still going to want the people out there performing in matches so it's not going to be helpful to be like oh you don't feel like you're converting your training form into match day form well let's drop you from matches because that's that's not going to give you any opportunity to to test out new things so what what i would be doing in that situation is trying to give the players certain tools or skills or certain things to sort of think about and work on that they can be working on potentially in training and between matches but also certain things that they can be then working on during the matches themselves so but you still need them in that environment to test them out they may not they're obviously not going to work instantly there's no magic wand but you kind of need to give them that exposure to those situations so that they can be trying those new things and hoping that they start to have that positive effect so again there's probably and that's not true for a physical injury where you'd be like oh well we've done some physiological tests and you're in the red zone for for this and therefore you can't just sort of like play your way out of that necessarily uh so it's going to be a case of like actually we need you to ease back in psychology it's perhaps a little bit different there
1: Mm, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about it in in those terms before, but it does make complete and utter sense. And um, did you want to say anything specifically about Richardson? Um, we had a brief chat about him before we started recording, and I think we we're both full of admiration for his approach. Yeah,
2: I, uh, for sure. I I I think so much of what he's he's kind of said and done is really helpful <laughs> broadly for my profession. Um, but I think it's 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 helpful for for everyone. Like um, just to be quite open about. struggles that he's had and the fact that he sought help is 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 really really useful um and i think what's particularly kind of unique about his case is that as far as i'm aware he has done all of that voluntarily like he opted kind of through his purely through his own kind of will he chose to share that information and i think that's quite different to other situations um thinking about players you know there are players out there who it is known that they have had struggles with their mental health um and i'll also just throw out there that the addiction falls into that category as well so I, I you know I think there was a weirdly bipolar or weirdly sort of like um, partisan take on Tony's return for Brentford where some people would I th- it's possible Sky slightly overdid it but also like this is someone who is battling a mental health issue and has returned from that and I think that actually is worthy of some celebration maybe not quite as much as they gave it but it is definitely worthy of celebration agree, um, but the yeah when you think about either him right like his story only came to to light his issues with with addiction came to light because he was banned right Aaron Lennon, Deli, Jaden Sancho right like these are players who it's widely known it's kind of out there as public information that these people have have struggled with various forms of of mental health or mental ill health or whatever Um, but in all of those cases that information was sort of put out there either by other people or the situation was forced by other circumstances. So certainly like when Delhi gave that amazing interview, like he basically came out and said like the tabloids were going to just publish this without my consent. So I just wanted to get out in front of it and and share the information on my own terms. And that is, Still, unbelievably brave for him to do that, but it's also completely disgraceful, and um, that that's the situation that these these people are being put in. Um, And I would argue that that's perhaps even more the more the case with Jaden Sancho. Um, That whereas, so all of those people kind of had their arms twisted to to divulge that information, and and seemingly, you know, uh, I think it would probably be fair to say that without those external kind of triggers or pressures, they probably wouldn't have done so. Whereas actually, it seems like Rashadson. as far as I'm aware, I've not seen anything that he has kind of felt kind of coerced to share this information. He seems to have just shared it very freely. Um, and I think that speaks to, I think that's a kind of testament to him as an individual. Like he, he again, also seems very authentic as a human being. Um, and I think he has just sort of like seen this as an opportunity to kind of do some good by sharing that this has been a, a helpful thing for him um also obviously he's had the the, the physical sort of re- renaissance that's come with his his surgery and all the rest of it so it's 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 slightly hard to unpick what how much is one and how much is the other but i i, I think him coming forward and saying all of that has been Extremely brave and extremely impressive, and I really, really hope that that kind of sets a bit more of a precedent for other other players to kind of share more openly in a way that doesn't doesn't feel like they've been forced to do that. But also, you know, I, I think. The reception generally of and doing that has also been helpful and it's been helpful that his form is then picked up that that helps <laughs> that helps a lot to make it seem like, oh, I did this thing and it was really helpful. So maybe others should consider doing the, doing the same thing. Um, but it is it's it's great to see someone out there sort of flying the flag for any form of kind of working on your own mental health and well-being and then that having a knock-on effect you know in terms of those sort of improvements in performance as well
1: Mm. Mm. very well said Alex um I'm I feel very proud of Richardson um for being a leader in this area and uh, uh long may it continue and I hope that he, what he's done, is also something that goes on to help other players, and more, more importantly, potentially people, <laughs> people who who read his story and hear what he's saying and uh understand that that there is there's help out there if you seek it um we we've massively overrun as we always <laughs> do uh it's been hugely appreciated i think i would love to get you back on because we had other questions from um, dr tottenham and yankoslav who would ask really interesting questions as well and if anyone else has any questions they'd like to put forward to alex please just email us podcast at the exchange.co.uk or if you're on the Discord, please feel free to drop them in the podcast questions channel, and um, we'll get Alex back on to, to tackle more questions. But thank you so much, Alex. It's been it's been such a brilliant insight into all of these um, scenarios and uh, areas. It's really appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. Always a pleasure to to come on and chat.
0: Have you catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well,